Hello, community group leaders. This is Thomas. Welcome to the community group leaders update, the update for the week of October 10th through 16th. My goal each week is to inform, guide, and train you leaders at Parkview to make disciples. And this week we're learning from Acts 14. And we are going to be doing a little disciple-making case study to wrap up. As always, community groups exist to make whole disciples by cultivating an environment of relational safety where the spiritual initiative of the group leads to the growth of each member. That is what we're all about, and that is what I'm hoping to help you grow in today. All right, let me start by informing you with a few things that are going on around the church that would be helpful for you as you're making disciples in your group. Firstly, we have a women's event, a women's coffee event coming up on Saturday the 15th. Uh, that's in five days from now as you're listening to this probably. Uh, that's happening at East Campus from 930 to 11. It's an opportunity for those in your group. If there are people, they want to help take the next step with Christ. And that would mean making some Christian friends. It's a good thing to bring unbelievers to. It's a good thing to bring people who are on the fringes. It's a good thing to uh, bring people who are already committed to the church to just develop more friendships with uh, fellow ladies. So come Saturday the 15th at East Campus 930 to 11, Women's Coffee. Secondly, there have been a number of people in my group, and I know from what I've uh, heard from you leaders as I've met with you for coaching meetings, that have shared group members want to grow in Bible reading commitment in time in the Bible, consistency. And uh, so I want to remind you of one uh, resource that we've developed that uh, is meant to help you with that. So uh, we have a Bible reading plan that we've developed. It's a two-year plan. And we're here, we're getting right down to the end of year number one and going into year number two, but it's not too late to join in. The link to that, you can find it in the in the weekly guide that comes with this podcast out on the Church Center app can find it on the website. We'll include links wherever you need it. Um, right now, we're going through Second Samuel. We're going to be going to the New Testament soon, too, which is a really help, helpful, fun thing and maybe a good time for your group to jump in. If there are people in your group who have said, I want to grow in reading the Bible together, it's really easy for you to say, hey, let's let's do this together. It lines up with our preaching schedule. And we have so we have a ton of people at church doing this together. And it's a great, great, easy way to continue uh, discussion about the word throughout the week. That's all I have to update you on. Let's move on to guiding you through the passage. All right, as I guide you through the passage, my goal here is to get the big picture of the passage, navigate a couple speed bumps that could disrupt discussion, and give you a couple of places to sort of land the plane in application. This week we're in Acts 14, uh, and it reads like this. I'll stop a couple places to emphasize some things, but you'll hear the whole thing. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Now I'll stop and just point out that Iconium um, uh, 
similar to Pisidian Antioch, where they were in Acts 13. It's a place with a sizable Jewish population. You see, they begin, as they so often did, this was Paul and Barnabas' pattern throughout the book of Acts, uh, is that they go first to the synagogue, first to the Jews, and then if and when they're rejected there, they move on to the Gentiles. In Lystra, we find out this is not a well-educated city like Iconium uh, with a sizable Jewish population and therefore a synagogue. Rather, it's sort of it was considered a poor, rustic, uneducated, sort of quaint, and particularly non-Jewish town. So this is the first time that the apostles are coming to a place where there's really no Jewish presence. They're not going there to first sort of testify to the Jews and then move on. This is something totally new and totally different. So listen to this here. I'm starting in verse 8. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying, In Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. I'll just pause there for a second. It's crucial they says they're saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men, because it's only later that the apostles realize that they're preparing to offer sacrifice to them and do all these sort of blasphemous acts, and then Paul and them intervene. But at this point, because they said it in Lyconian, and apparently Paul and Barnabas don't understand Lyconian, I don't either, uh, they don't realize what's happening. So the story continues. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? And I'll get back to that in a second. But there in verse 14, I'll stop there and say, you see them respond. The apostles respond. They tear their garments. Um, This is an action that we see in the Old Testament repeated time and time again when there's blasphemy committed or blasphemy sort of about to be committed or possibly has been committed. Often people, and this often has to do with the temple and things like that, we see God's people, leaders, tearing their garments, rending their garments. It's an outward display that what's happening is not okay. Um, So that's why they do that. In verse 15, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Pause there. You notice right away that whereas in, um, for instance, in Pisidian Antioch, we get a story. Okay, sorry, I should be more clear. What's so fascinating about this is this is our first sort of sermon or message, whatever you want to call it, from the Apostle Paul or from any apostle to a public, exclusively Gentile audience. And you notice that the way that they explain who Christ is and who God is is radically different from when they come to a Jewish audience. So in verse 15, Paul doesn't start as he does in Pisidian Antioch by saying, Brothers, uh, the God of Israel said such and such, and begin to talk about the promises of God and King David and how Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises to Israel and so forth. Instead, in verse 15, I'll just read it again. Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain or empty things to a living God, in contrast to a dead idol, which is what they were about to sacrifice to, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. 
They're appealing to God as creator. Um, In past generations, it says, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. And it says, even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifice to them. In the discussion questions this week, my prompting to you is going to be to, to compare and contrast this speech to, to those given in Jewish audiences and to sort of think through the people that your group members are reaching out to, who you yourselves as group leaders are reaching out to in evangelism. Are these people who are have more in common with the people of Antioch, familiar with the Bible, familiar with God and his promises and so forth, even if they've rejected them? Or are they more more like the people in Lystra, um, whether educated or not, just sort of unaware, you know, don't know the Bible has two testaments? And um, how would your approach to them as you begin to try to open spiritual doors be different for each of those contexts as we see it was different for Paul in one versus the other? So the passage continues, verse 19, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. It's fascinating to see it's the disciples who gathered around him uh, as after Paul had been stoned and dragged out of town, um, the disciples apparently that they had already made in Lystra who were caring for Paul um, after these Jews who had followed him all the way from Antioch and Iconium um, came to disrupt them there in Lystra. Verse 21, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, which is amazing, by the way. After having been stoned and treated so poorly in each of these cities, they returned knowing that there were disciples there to be cared for and to be nourished and to be strengthened. Um, Even at risk of their lives, they go back. And verse 22 says, as they did that, they strengthened the souls of the disciples in each of those cities, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. This is a place where you might have a little speed bump in discussion. That phrase, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. When we think of that phrase, the kingdom of God, in, in uh, Luke, in Acts, uh, we often think of the kingdom of God defined in these broad terms as sort of salvation. It's through many tribulations we must achieve salvation or something like that. That That's sort of the way that Luke uses that phrase. But remember, it's not Luke speaking here. It's Paul and Barnabas. And we know that Paul used that word very differently. Um, for instance, in Romans eight seventeen, it says, If we are children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, it's clear that what this isn't saying is that we sort of suffer our way into salvation, as in sort of suffering is the way that we earn Christ. You know, we sort of, we, we bleed enough to earn his love or something like that. But rather, it's pointing out that it's an inevitability, that those who love Christ, those who want to be loyal to Christ, will suffer in this world. Jesus said that himself. He said, if, you, if they persecute you, don't be surprised because they persecuted me first. Uh, but it's a good good thing to be ready for if people find themselves confused about that. Is it, it is a significant point in this passage that there's a lot of persecution, a lot of opposition, and um, a lot of risk-taking, frankly, being taken by Paul and Barnabas as they return to areas where they had been persecuted, even uh, attempted to be murdered. Um, and so it's something to be, th- be thinking about with your group as you reflect on this. Um, 
Now, after they had appointed elders in each, every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work they had fulfilled. That is, they returned not to Pisidian Antioch, where they were persecuted, but rather to Syrian Antioch, where this whole journey began. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. Basically, they come back home, they give their sort of missionary report, and um, especially they emphasize how God had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. It was now possible. The door was not shut. It was wide open, which really sets us up for Acts 15, which is the um, the big uh, church conference that takes place in Jerusalem to discuss whether God is is whether it's okay that all these Gentiles are su- suddenly hoping to be loyal to Christ. Do they need to follow the law of Moses and so forth? Um, and this wraps up that that first missionary journey. Um, some primary points of application there are to discuss next steps in evangelism. How do we start talking about Christ in particular with secular people um, who have more in common with Lystra than they do with, uh, with Antioch and so forth? Um, also, how do we handle opposition or discouragement in evangelism, which we all face? And finally, I want to remind you, I have, I have shared a Next Steps in Evangelism document with all of you and your group members with some practical steps and also uh, a pretty extensive summary of the book by Sam Chan called How to Talk About Jesus Without Being That Guy. Um, you guys, probably many of you are familiar with from last year when we went through that together. Super helpful and a good reminder if they did read it already and a good resource if they haven't, along with just some next steps for them to think through. I know we've, like I said, we've been in Acts for quite a while. We're going to be here for for longer, and I want to give them sort of every opportunity to have concrete help to take next steps and not just feel like they're kind of shooting in the dark or just feeling guilty every week like they don't know what to do. So, all right, Acts 14. Awesome. Let's move on to a time of training. Uh, community groups we know make whole disciples by cultivating an environment of relational safety where the spiritual initiative of the group leads to the growth of each member and this is the third Sunday of the month here we're preparing for and so this is the week where we talk about issues and discipleship Um, I have a big list of kind of issues that you community group leaders have brought to me things that you've addressed and things that I've faced in group life and I want to just talk through how we've handled them and just give you some practical wisdom and advice and I wanted to start doing this with the, the one that has been more questioned, more that's been brought to me more than any, any other. And for each of these, I've kind of written out in, in true case study style. Here's how this sort of came up. Um, so here's the deal. Steve and Tracy, they come to group meetings about once a month, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less. Um, when they're there, they're a blast. They contribute, they're involved. Um, as much as they can be, you know, coming so infrequently. And it's clear they, they don't feel bad about not showing up. In fact, you know, when we when you talk and you're talking with your group about when you're meeting next, um, they'll they'll just say, oh, yeah, we're going to be doing, we probably won't be here for a little bit or we'll be doing X, Y, Z. And clearly it's not sort of, it's just not a huge commitment for them. They aren't apologetic. They don't really give notice. They're not going to tell you, oh, we're not going to be there next week. They just don't show up. And they kind of attend when it's convenient and absent when it's not. They feel totally fine saying, oh, yeah, we just kind of didn't feel like it or whatever. How do you handle this? This is far and away the the question that's been brought up most frequently. 
to me from group leaders sort of as a discipleship issue. And I think the, the place you've got to start here is to sort of identify what is the issue here. It, it might be easy for us as leaders to immediately say, ah, I know what the issue is. These are spiritually apathetic people. They are not really interested in growing or they're not really interested in this group. And you just sort of feel frustrated. I feel frustrated even reading that because I've, I've experienced it so many times um, with people that you wish were more committed, but they just don't seem to be. And you sort of try maybe dropping hints and you sort of, well, it's just not really connecting. But I think the first step for us as we handle this as disciple makers in our group is to open our minds to the possibility that it's not necessarily that. Um, we often think of sort of, especially as Christians, we're thinking, ah, the root of the problem is the problem of the heart. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. And so that's where we got to go first. But that's not fair to make those kind of assumptions. So here's why I suggest, and, and often this has been my routine, is to sort of think first, how can I address this? And, and maybe even before that to think, where and when can I address this? Now, there can be a lot of wisdom in addressing this outside of the group. Um, that's often where people feel safest. If there's, if there's the possibility of something that's going to be a little bit confrontational or they're going to feel challenged or, or shamed, um, would definitely want to avoid having that happen in the context of group. Um, if possible, sometimes that's necessary, but, um, so that might take the, take the, you know, you might see Bill and Stacy at church and say, Hey, I said, you got, Hey, so good to see you. You guys free, free for some pizza after lunch. Let's get together. Let's talk. Um, or just calling up Bill, call, whatever it is and say, Hey, why don't we come over for some coffee or, um, can we meet you, meet you guys would love to hang out and see if you can get together outside of group. It could also be a phone call, something like that. But outside of group is often a good time to, to reach out. It could also happen during group, during sort of an aside. If there's a time, if you guys are eating a meal or, or whatever, and you find yourself, you know, sort of alone in a certain part of the room or the house, and you're able to have a little bit of private time together, um, it could happen then too. And here's how I'd suggest you sort of move forward. The first thing I would say is be a good question asker. Ask good questions. Do not make your assumptions and sort of assume you know what's going on. Of course, it's good to have it in the back of your mind, but the first thing you got to do is just show concern for them. How are you, Bill? How are you, Tracy, Stacy? I forget what their names are. Steve and Tracy. I got it totally wrong. Steve and Tracy. How are you guys doing? What's going on in your life? You've been on any trips lately? Kind of just hear how they're doing. Because the reality is, it could be that these people are carrying a special burden. Um, that you have no idea about and that they, they have not shared with the group that's preventing their attendance. The last thing that you would want to do is to kind of, kind of get in their face about them not showing up and have them say, well, we've been dealing with Steve's ongoing illness or, you know, Stacy's Tracy's dad is dying or I'm horribly depressed. And so it's just, it's always best to show care for them, to show concern for them. How are you guys doing? What's going on? Give them the opportunity to surface those issues and to move forward as gently as you can. A second thing to think of is, do they know that you want them to be there? Do they know that kind of everyone else is here just about every week or so? Everyone else kind of lets us know when they're not going to show up. It may be a simple matter of ignorance. They may just not know. So here's where the next thing I'd, I'd say is, the next thing to do is to just affirm them. Look, we love having you guys in the group. I just, we love it. You guys are such a bright spot for us. You always have helpful comments about the passage, about about life. Um, 
I mean, we just love being around you. We love your pies. Thank you for bringing that pie the other way. We just, it was so good. And here's the thing. We need people like you in our group. You guys are, you're, you're strong in Christ. You're growing. Um, we need you. I need you as an encouragement in our group. Your gifts are so vital for us. If there was one thing I wish would change about you guys in the group, it's just that we saw you there more. Another thing you might say is, hey, it, it feels like when we meet up at group, it's so good to have you. I've noticed it's, you know, it's been kind of a once a month thing. My only thought is it feels like when we get together, it's kind of like we got to spend the first first hour of that meeting just kind of catching up on where you guys are at in life. Is there any reason that you guys haven't been able to come a little bit more? And if, if you get to that point and it still feels appropriate to sort of press in, at this point, most people are going to sense, oh, I, I should probably be there more. And if they're not, and if they're really not interested, okay it may be appropriate to sort of challenge them. Um, if this is sort of the first conversation, it might be good just to, to leave it there, to just say, hey, we'd love to see you some more. If this is maybe the second time you sort of brought it up and nothing's really changed, it might be appropriate to go to somewhere like Hebrews 10, um, 24 and 25. It says, and, and here's how you'd frame this. You might say, you know, as I've thought about you guys and just wanted to see you more, one, one passage that's come to mind is Hebrews 10. It says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so, Stephen Tracy, I hope you don't mind if I just sort of just encourage you to come together more and not neglect coming. We'd love to see you. We'd love seeing your gifts on display in our group. We need you. Um, is there any way we can help you, you know, just just make this more of a, pri- excuse me, make this more of a priority? Um so that's that's generally the way that I've I've helped others grow in this area, and uh, that's how I'd sort of suggest you do that in groups. If you guys have any other thoughts or ways that you've you've helped others in that, take the next step just to can be more consistent in attending group. If you have people who, as you fill out that growth got growth um, grid, you'd say we've got a few fringe people that we we're not quite sure what to do. Those might be some helpful next steps with them. Okay, group leaders, we're going to send you out with prayer, and I say we. Because in this case, I have Todd Kramer joining me. Todd is an elder and a community group leader. Uh, he's also a great brother-in-law. <laughs> and so he's joined me and he's going to pray for you guys to send you out this week. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time. As we reflect on Acts 14, we ask that you would give us the strength and wisdom that Paul and Barnum displayed. Help us to persevere when there is pushback from those we are discipling. We thank you for the opportunity to serve you through discipleship and ask that you would give us boldness in speaking truth to our group members. Give us patience as disciple makers, realizing that discipleship is a process that takes time. Help us to lean on you. Help us to spend time in your word daily. Help us to consistently pray for our group and help us to lead and love our groups through the overflow of our relationship with you. Now we thank you for what you are doing and will continue to do in our groups as we intentionally make disciples. We love you, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Have a great week.